Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Lunch Hour with Renault. We are so excited to have you here with us this afternoon. Uh, I'm Justin, and with me today are Renault and Joel. Welcome, guys. Uh, Good to be here. Thanks for being here, and thanks for having some lunch. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous that Joel and I didn't get any, but... Yeah, come on. Next time. Next time. Um, <laughs> this has been a really great space for our church to be able to uh, really lean in and unpack the gospel in some more intentional ways than we're really able to do at our weekend gatherings. A lot of our missional communities do it, but it's great to have our pastoral leaders here um, and be able to share and help shepherd and lead us in those conversations. And so the last few weeks, we've really been talking about the gospel. Um, I mean, in its most simple, unpacked forms, like what is it practically? How does it impact us? How does it shape us? And then how do we use that gospel as it transforms us to, to be a gospel presence in our world, a gospel presence physically and, and also a gospel voice? And so... Yeah. It's been such a really a, a great time for us. Yeah, um, not that there's, not that we ever need any reason to spend time talking about the gospel because right. I think it is primary to everything that is life, light, and freedom. But uh, in particular, in the context that we've been dealing with it, uh, is just how, how do we live on this planet in a way that we make that gospel known to those who do not yet know the beautiful, extraordinary, redemptive story of Jesus, both in presence and in voice. And so... Uh, it's, it has been a ton of fun to be with you guys and a ton of fun to just navigate this together during this hour. So, Yeah, I thought you put it really well this weekend. You know, as we took communion as a church, that whole like, hey, we want to be able to remember. And this mm -hmm. space of unpacking the gospel together in the middle of the week with you and with Joel and some of the other people who've been on has been a really great kind of uh, cornerstone in our week for us to be able to take, to take some time out literally right in the middle and say, I want to be remembered, or, or I want to remember Jesus, I want to remember what he's done, mm -hmm. um, and have our focus set there. So I've really loved, too, that we get to do this um, and interact with people who are uh, sitting in their homes or Absolutely. at their workplaces or um, maybe on a mobile device anywhere around our city yeah. that can listen in, that can chime in, ask questions. I think it's super fun uh, that we can sit here together for an hour. And I'm incredibly and grateful dialogue. that yeah. you guys would take time out of your day to join us, because uh, yeah. We know your time could be used in many ways, and it's an honor for us to have some of your time be here with us. Yeah. So we're grateful. Yeah, so we're excited to go ahead and jump in. Uh, today we're navigating some pretty interesting territory. Uh, yes. We're going to yes, be talking are. about false gospels, uh, and that's a really broad umbrella. Um, and there's a lot of things that fall under that. But I'm really curious to hear why did you guys decide to utilize this time today to talk about that specific topic? Mm. You know, I think that's a great question, Justin. I think um, probably the primary reason that we decided to add this idea of false gospels into the mix with unpacking the reality of the gospel uh, in terms of us carrying it well, sharing it well, making it known well, is that um, in the early New Testament church context, and then honestly throughout history from that time until now, Wherever the gospel has been present, there's also been false versions of the gospel present, distorted versions of the gospel present. And the early New Testament authors uh, did not mince words when it came to these distortions of the gospel. They didn't leave it out of their writings. They didn't uh, speak to it in a manner that was lighthearted or just be a little careful. They were very, very adamant 
that any time that there is a distortion of the gospel creating a false gospel, that we should see that as a very significant affront against the true gospel, and we should deal with it as such. And so we recognize in our cultural context here, we have distortions of the gospel. And the trouble with a distortion of the gospel is it sounds almost like the gospel. Right. So we wanted to deal with it because they're not always obvious. They're not always just like, obviously that's against Jesus. They kind of sound like they're about Jesus. Yeah. But if you look to the details, you start realizing, wow, they're distortions. So we just felt it was really important to step in and have a clarity that there are false gospels and what some of the key ones are in our current cultural context. Yeah, I think about um, even from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, you see uh, that God's word being distorted leads to the downfall of Mm. people. Wow. So, you know, here is Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. God's given Adam the command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, in comes the enemy to the Garden of Eden, and he says, did God really say that you'll actually die if you eat the fruit? Hmm. And, uh, you know, Eve had, had the, uh, the wrong message, and, and this is Adam's fault, by the way, ladies. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is Adam's fault. So don't let men say it's just Eve's. And for us men, we have to take responsibility that only Adam was alive when God gave the command and he didn't communicate that properly to Eve. And so there was a misrepresentation of the word of God, which led to believing the enemy and which led to sin coming into the world. So this is a really serious thing. Yeah. And, and when we see the authors of the New Testament talking about misrepresentations of God's word, misrepresentations of God's truth, they don't play around at all. They're no. very strong in the way. And as a matter of it. fact, I mean, to, you know, you said it well, Joel. I, I think also to recognize that many of the New Testament letters, the yeah. actual reason the letter was written in the first place to a particular specific context besides God's sovereignty of making it the, the, the scriptures for us was in response to the true gospel being uh, distorted by some uh, group of people Mm. coming in and saying, you've heard this, but really it's this, or just simply shaping it. So, I mean, you look at the the letter to the church in Galatia, you look at the the letter to uh, uh, Peter's letter going out, you look at Jude going out, you look at the letter um, to um, the church in Colossae. And each of these letters were written specifically to say, there has been a false gospel, a distorted gospel that has entered your space, and I need to write a letter to show you what? The true gospel and remind you to be very, very, very cautious of being involved in any way with a false gospel. I think there's two of those letters that you mentioned that are really applicable to our conversation that we're going to get into today. The first is Galatians, and um, what Paul is addressing in Galatians, and if, if you've got some time today, go read this and you'll see it. Um, is that people were saying that the gospel is uh, believing in Jesus plus obedience to the Mosaic law, specifically with circumcision. And so they were saying, Jesus is not enough for salvation. You need to also do circumcision as well, and then, then you'll be right with God. And so Paul writes to the Galatians and says, I'm actually shocked that you have departed from the clear teaching of the gospel that I've preached to you 
Um, if I or anyone or even an angel comes to you and preaches a different gospel, consider that person accursed. Uh, the word in Greek is anathema, which is uh, that, that you are, are not a part of the family of God. You are not a part of the kingdom of God. Uh-huh. You are accursed. And so this idea of preaching a different gospel is something that Paul took very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And the other letter that's really, I think, applicable to this particular conversation is the letter of Colossians, where Paul writes to the church in Colossae and says, hey, um, we're going to get really specific on the nature of Jesus, um, because the Gnostics um, were a group of people who were uh, preaching a heresy that Jesus wasn't actually here in bodily form, um, that he was just a spiritual being that was here, and he looked like he was in a body, but he wasn't really in a body, and so that he wasn't both fully God and fully man. And so Paul writes to the Colossians and says, uh, hey, in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwelled in bodily form. Um, and he and, and speaks to the supremacy and to the deity of Christ, but also to the humanity of Christ um, and, and really demonstrating who Jesus is. Because when you mess with the nature of Jesus, it destroys the gospel. Yeah. And I think uh, to a large extent in our world today, we will see different expressions of distortions of the gospel. But in their essence, over, this, over the centuries, this has not changed. There is either a distortion of who Jesus is either diminishing his divinity, yep. diminishing his humanity, yep. diminishing his, uh, his redemptive work. Yep. Uh, there is a distortion of who we are, elevating our authority, elevating our power, elevating our prosperity, elevating what we should expect, or there is an addition to the gospel, either something you need to do yep. or something you're going to get. And mm. so there is this uh, distortion that says it's not just Jesus, yep. and it's not having Jesus that's enough. Jesus gives you X, Y, and Z, or you need to do X, Y, and Z to continue to keep Jesus, Jesus yeah. happy and give you X, Y, and Z. Which is really paganism. It's really paganism. I mean, every pagan religion, if you look at any religion that is not Christianity, it is always, what must I do to get to God? <laughs> yeah. And that's not the gospel. So, if you say these things... If you speak these things, if you believe these things and you believe properly these things, then Jesus will give you these things. And if you don't have these things, then you must not believe properly. You must not be speaking properly. You must not be behaving properly. So Mm -hmm. there's always a, here's what you can get. If you do this, Jesus is just the catalyst for all that. Well, Jesus is not just the catalyst for me to behave rightly so I can have something he has. You'll see that distortion a lot. And then, of course, the distortion of this is who you actually are. And this is who Jesus actually is. Jesus, you. Jesus, yeah. you. And yeah. anytime you encounter any of that, you are in the middle of a distortion of the gospel, which would qualify as a false gospel, which would qualify as an anathema, which would qualify as something we should be deeply uh, disturbed by. Yeah. So, I mean, it's clear. There's no denying that we have to have clarity on the gospel. We have to Absolutely. know what the truth is and where it's found. And we've been given the gift of scripture yes. to help find that out. But the purpose of that is to obviously avoid these distortions, yeah. avoid the creation of these false gospels so that we can live in truth and freedom and light and, and lead other people mm-hmm. along that same path, Right. which is great. And I'm excited to get into some of the specifics because there are quite a few of those specifically in our culture today um, that are huge. But before we do that, yeah. let's take a break and say hey to some people. We've got a bunch of friends on. Uh, we've got Allison Bradley. Hey, Allison. Allison. Oh, hello. Uh, Chris Owens is here. What up, Chris? Uh, our good friend Yara is back. Natalie Gonzalez. Amy Webb from Franklin, Tennessee. 
It's kind of cold there right now and rainy. Uh, and then we've got uh, Lulu Noel and Carrie Waters. hey Hey, guys. Welcome. Thanks for jumping in and joining with us again today. Uh, we're excited to be back uh, again talking about the gospel, but today really talking about the, fa- the false gospels that we see in the world today and how we can know where, where to find the truth, what truth is, and how that is important to shape our life. Yeah. Um, and and as, so, we, as we get into this, for real, guys, you know, ask questions, jump in, dive in, yeah. um, and it'd be great to have uh, some dialogue together. Yeah, we, we want to invite you. This is designed to be a conversation uh, amongst us, but also including you. So feel free to send some of the questions. Um, we'll get to those. Uh, and specifically, ask questions about some of the false gospels that you've heard, uh, uh, questions that you may have, whether it's regarding health, wealth, and prosperity, uh, distortions, additions, things like that. We would love to be able to, I mean, while we've got our pastoral leaders here, be able to, uh, to share those, unpack those, and really get to the truth of um, what we know is true about God and, and how he's invited us into his yeah. story. Yeah. So um, let's jump into some of the specifics. Obviously, uh, there are probably an infinite number of distortions of the true gospel, but sure. what are some of the modern-day distortions or false gospels that we want to watch out for um, in our world today? Yeah, so, you know, I think... Um, <clears throat> As we begin to process that, one of the ways that you can, that you can kind of identify in, in any cultural context where the false gospels lie, and, and I'll show you how we kind of identify one of those in our cultural context, is uh, to remember that when we are looking at the gospel, which is the good news, the great news, the redemptive story of God, both in what God did for us and the implications of that, right? So the gospel is sort of the work of God and the implications, what we're recipients of, what we're participants in. And so when we look at the gospel, um, I remember a couple of years ago going to uh, the Smithsonian and seeing the Hope Diamond. And the Hope Diamond uh, sat in this room, in the middle of the room and in a glass container, and it wasn't obviously glass. I'm, I'm sure a nuclear weapon couldn't have gotten through that glass. <laughs> um, but the room was large and round and totally dark, except for the Hope Diamond in the middle, and then these lights were shining up from the sides onto the diamond, and it was just revolving slowly. And I stood watching this diamond, and at every second on every turn, the diamond dynamically changed. The colors coming through were different. The shape would just seem different. So it, it was a diamond that was moving, that was not just moving circularly, but it was alive and dynamic. And so I could simultaneously say, describe the Hope Diamond. Well, it's translucent. It's this tall. It's round like this. It's shaped that way. And, and that's what it looks like. In its simplicity, it's one thing. It's a diamond. But in its complexity, as it turned, inside of that diamond were a thousand different rays of light that kind of gave you different realities and perspectives. I see the gospel that way. The gospel in its simplicity, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead to save me from my sins and to give me a hope and a future because I was dead in my transgressions and I needed saving. And he allows me now to be a child of God and a participant in his story. There it is, the hope diamond, right? I mean, the gospel. But at the same time within the gospel then, as you discover the more of the gospel, not a different gospel, but the more of the gospel, you discover in this gospel is freedom, but also bondage. Not the kind of bondage that binds me, but the kind of bondage where I'm a slave to righteousness, right? Uh, in this gospel, there is prosperity, but there is poverty also. There is, 
uh, health, but there is also sickness. Some of the most beautiful stories in the scripture dealt with people that had been ill for most of their life. Uh, some of the most beautiful stories today are watching uh, kids like Bella South yeah. and her family navigate the gospel as it navigates the reality of our exile on this planet. Yeah. In the gospel is exile. In the gospel is hope. In the gospel is waiting and patience. In the gospel is here and now. But what we tend to do is as we, as we turn the gospel and we discover it and we discover prosperity, the green light comes through. If we stop there and we go, the gospel is prosperity, mm. then we stop digging further and we become obsessed with the singularity of the gospel, then we, then we get a prosperity gospel. And as soon as we have a prosperity gospel, what is it? It's a distortion of the gospel. Or we get a poverty gospel. If you're not suffering for Jesus and driving an old car and living in a tent and traveling the world sharing the gospel, then you're just not that spiritual. Yeah. You're driving a nice car and living in a nice house, psh, clearly you don't love Jesus. Mm. That's a poverty gospel. Yeah. It's just as horrid as a prosperity gospel, which says... If you are not driving a nice car with a prosperous home, healthy, wealthy, and with lots of friends, then you must be doing something wrong because God's intent for you, the reason he died for you, is to make you wealthy, healthy, and, mm. and happy. And I think that's the key is, you know, what, what will end up happening when you have a prosperity gospel is that people will tie, um, teachers of the prosperity gospel will tie core doctrines of the gospel, such as the atonement. Hmm. And they'll tie that to their thing. So what the prosperity, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, um, what they will do with that, we, we're, we're saying it's a gospel, it's a false gospel. Yeah. But what they're saying is that health, wealth, and prosperity, those are guaranteed to us in the atonement of Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross not only to forgive our sin, but to give us their version of abundant life, yeah. which is health, wealth, health and, and prosperity. Yeah. So, so what ends up happening is that a core doctrine of the gospel will be, um, will be contorted to fit their belief system so that it will, uh, it will prove true as, as it plays out in people's lives. And the troubling thing with this is, is there prosperity in the gospel? Examples in scripture of God giving great prosperity or healing the sick, whatever. Yes. yes. So then you've got ammo, right? Look, he did it here. It's for all of us. And I think what we often do is we take the guarantees of atonement, right? The work that Jesus did guarantees certain things. First Peter 1, 1 through um, 13 is one of those beautiful passages of guarantee, right? And then we take the gifts that God gives us. Like, like I'm a dad. Sometimes I'm rolling home. I swing by uh, Winter Garden Village, and I'll be in a store, and I'll see something one of my kids might like, and I'll get it for them, and I'll bring it home, and I'll give it to them. If they suddenly set an expectation that now every time I roll home, the guarantee is I'm bringing them a gift, I'm bringing them a candy, I'm bringing them a whatever, then they're going to have a very distorted relationship with me right. because they're not going to care that I come home anymore. They're going to care that I show up with a gift, right? So there are things God will give us at times. Prosperity might be one of them. That healing for, might be one he, of them. Healing might be one of them. Yeah. Um, health might be one of them. That is a gift from God. But it is not guaranteed in the gospel. Yeah. And so a distorted gospel will take something that is not guaranteed and make it a guarantee. And then what it does is anyone who doesn't have that gift, doesn't have health, doesn't have prosperity, doesn't have wealth, they are apparently 
somewhere missing the boat, either in their faith or God doesn't like them. So one of the grave dangers of any version of a gospel is that it alienates people that know and love Jesus out of the family of God by saying, since you don't have this thing that apparently atonement guarantees, then what's the only conclusion? You must not have atonement or you must be somehow missing it. And that is demonic. Yeah, wow. So I was watching a teacher that's part of the prosperity gospel uh, teach last night. Um, unfortunately, I've had to, Joel and I both have had to live in the cesspool of false gospels for a couple of weeks here because we just had to watch the stuff. And he was literally, I, I'm not even kidding, like, like I wanted to climb into the computer and like start doing inappropriate things to him. I'm not like, kill, well, maybe kill him. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. Don't just say that out loud. We'll say probably not. We'll I'm probably just, just like, it just makes me so mad. But yeah. anyways, so he's preaching this entire sermon on Adam and the reason Adam fell is because of a tithe. So I'm like, what? So he made the apple, it belongs to God. And the point wasn't that he would know good and evil because he would grow into knowing good and evil. Oh, the point God. was that he stole from God what was his, like we style t- steal oh, tithe from God. Goodness. And sin entered his world because he stole the tithe. Oh, no. And I'm like, what? Oh, and then gosh. he goes, and when we take out 10% and we hold it back, we are stealing, uh, like Adam stole the apple, we are stealing from God. So I'm assuming the 10% he was talking about was the the 10% that was going to his ministry. Oh no, wait for it, it got better. (laughs) Then he went to a a, a space in the Old Testament where he talked about the priest who received the tithe and that was the only qualified person to receive the tithe and how giving it to the right priest who was rightly qualified to receive it would then make it uh, valid. A valid tithe. And he yeah. was that right priest. Of course he was. So you're yeah. like, now, yeah, that's an extreme version. I'll give you that. Sure, sure. But that is the Yikes. primary reality of a false gospel is, if you do the right thing, then Jesus will give you what you want. You're not in this for Jesus. You're in this for what Jesus can give you. That might be money. It might be power. It might be authority. It might be security. Yeah. So let me read a quote from one of the prosperity teachers that's um, famous in our culture today. Um, and, and, you know, today we're just being careful, um, you know, by addressing the, the teaching, but not specifically the people, just because our goal here in this context is not to bash certain people or personalities or any of those kinds of things. We're not, we're not jealous of ministries. That's, that has nothing to do with this conversation but for us to be able to start to spot some of the things that are going to be said um, in these contexts. And um, I think one of the, the quotes, and you, you mentioned the idea that, um, that a lot of times when we buy into one of these gospels, we get our priorities mixed up, that we don't, we don't realize that the life that we live is for God's glory and for God's purpose we think that God exists for, for, for us. For our glory and our purpose. And, yeah. uh, and so he, here's something that this, this uh, prosperity teacher said that would just blew my mind. In the middle of a, their worship gathering in their church, uh, this person said, when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves. Uh, because God takes pleasure when we are happy. Just do good for your own self because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. 
So when <laughs> I don't think I can do this for an hour. I don't even know where. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's hard to. Oh like, my pick gosh, up and it's go hard to. And, and here's the thing, folks. You know, Joel said it well. We we are. Um, we want to be very careful to make sure that what we are not judging as a person, we're judging a person's teaching. Yeah. Because that we're allowed to judge. You should right. judge my teaching. Absolutely. If I'm teaching or Joel's teaching. I Justin's judge your teaching, teaching every week. Yes, he does. <laughs> FYI, constantly. Um, but, but, but we love that because the responsibility to come and bring the gospel and the word of God to the table is a massive responsibility. Absolutely. And so the reality is we should judge people's teachings. So you'll see today as we travel through this, we'll read quotes like that. Certainly you can go back and identify who these teachers are because they're very well-known current um, people that are in these mixes. But the point is what is being taught. Uh, and, and then it is, well, if, if this is being taught by a person, then that person's teaching shouldn't be followed. Right. And so... Uh, we judge teaching, we judge gospels because we have the right and true gospel, so we can judge. So when you hear that, I mean, you hear it there, right? There is an immediate elevation of self, an immediate uh, diminishing of God. We're not here for him. We're not here because of him. We're here because he wants us to do this for him so he can do for us what he ultimately wants. Mm -hmm. So the twist is we do for God what he wants because his real pleasure is doing for us what we want. Right. And so what you'll find in any false gospel at the end of the day is that it is, it is twisting around this idea that I'm not here for God, he's here for me in some version. Yeah. That he's going to do something for us, for me, that is going to make my life feel either better, more powerful, more prosperous, more authoritative or spiritual. So like a poverty theology elevates you in the sense that he's allowing you to, to be a player in the game because, and you're suffering for him. And in your suffering, you're more spiritual, you're more mature. That's giving you, it's always comes back to what am I elevated to or I getting from him because I'm doing this. And the prosperity gospel simply makes the, the thing we're receiving wealth health and prosperity and and what what an american gospel that is right yeah. like you know in the united states of america we we live in a world where we value prosperity i mean we we value hard work we value flourishing we value all of that and you know the reality is um i mean that this this culture that we live in is built around that yeah. and so to take uh to take that angle and say this is how jesus is going to fulfill your cultural desire um, is what many of these teachers are doing. And, and the scripture warns us specifically about that. Paul uh, was writing to Timothy. And um, while Paul is writing to Timothy, they have this relationship where um, Paul is, is trying to help Timothy understand um, that the people that he puts in place in authority um, in the church, because his job was to set elders in the local churches that Paul had planted, it's a big deal. Like, yeah. this is a serious thing. And so we want to make sure that there are faithful people who are leading God's church. And so, um, you know, Paul warns Timothy in that context. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Paul is getting ready to die. He's about to be martyred. And he says to Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. I think that's funny. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So Paul says, listen, um, Timothy, there's going to be a time that's coming where there are going to be people who, because they just want to have their ears satisfied, are going to go find teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear rather than the truth of the gospel. They're going to find teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. Mm. And the reality of the, the gospel is that the gospel... Um, by its very nature, ought to confront our sensibilities. It ought to confront our selfish pursuits and selfish desires, and that we ought to turn away from those things because those are sin and turn toward God. But we live in a culture where people are gravitating and flocking towards people who will say, you want the American dream? Let me show you how to get it. God can give it to you faster than America can. His name is Jesus. So, all you need to do is learn how to manipulate Jesus mm-hmm. into giving you the American dream. And the way that they'll do that is by the prayers you pray, by the words you speak. Uh, there's a so lot. there's a lot of this talk um, out there in the prosperity gospel and some of the other gospels as well that, again, are trying to extract something that whatever we speak out, like, you know, out, that that essentially creates the space to realize what we want. So in its purest form, it was the name it and claim it, right? Right. But in much more subtle forms, you'll hear it a lot in some of the more subtle teachers of the prosperity movement is that, man, don't you ever dare speak anything negatively because then you bring that into being. So when you're struggling in your marriage or you're struggling with your children or you're struggling with a friendship or you're struggling with an addiction, like you don't speak that out. You don't, you just pretend to be positive about it all, yeah. and then eventually it'll become positive. Yeah. But that's actually a twisted version of how we deal with the realities of our lives. Yeah, they'll use scriptures like life and death is held in the power of the tongue. And they'll say, well, then I can create, by the words that I speak, I can create life, um, or I can create death with the power of my tongue. Now, what James is talking about in context, that's, that's from the Bible, that life and death is held in the power of the tongue is that we can hurt each other with our words. Yeah, very much. That if I, if I tear Renault down with my words, that's hurtful. It yeah. brings death into his life. Or I can build him up with my words. I can tell him um, you know, the things that he is gifted in, the things that he is, uh, you know, brings to God's kingdom, the, the way that God has wired him, that I appreciate him, and I can build him up in that way. And that's the context of that verse. Yeah. But what, what prosperity, prosperity teachers will do is they'll say, okay, you have the power to speak things into existence. That because God created the, the world with his words, there is a creative power in speaking. Yeah, if you're God, that's true. Yeah, but not if you're um, us. But and we're not, again, but we're not we're God. So there's the, there there's the, the diminishing. elevation yeah. of who we are and the, and the, and and the, the, bringing diminishing, da- of the diminishing of God. And I think yeah. you, you always recognize false gospels because, again, either they're saying, if you do, then God will, right? So, right. so any time there's any version of if you have enough faith, if you believe enough, if you say enough, if you pray enough, speak enough, then God will guarantee you this thing that you want, right? That is outside of salvation and a relationship with Jesus forever and ever, for, you know, first Peter. So um, th- there's either that or there is a constant elevating of our authority, our power, our ability, our... So do we have the spirit of God in us? Yes. And are we empowered to, to go into the world and to make the gospel known and to be a gospel presence? Yes. And does that in, at times include even seeing supernatural things occur? I believe all of that. Yeah. 
But when you then make those things the thing that is guaranteed if you have this atonement or the spirit, then it begins to elevate. One, one of the teachers um, that's in this movement, uh, that they're more in the space where it's not so much prosperity in terms of wealth that they look for, but power and authority. Uh, you know, he teaches a lot about the idea that we have in us uh, this anointed spirit. So though we are not God, we are divine. So he actually, one of his quotes is um, exactly that. Um, he, he says this. Um, oh, that was the other. Here, here we go. Um, he says, though we are not God Almighty himself, we are now divine. So that's actually just FYI Mormon theology, if you really boil it down, that he makes us little gods or gods like him. And that's also P.S. what the enemy told Adam and Eve would happen if they believed in God. You would become divine, but but they don't. So here's the reality. He also teaches a lot about if we honor the, 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 the prophets of the past, the apostles of the past, even current teachers with authority, then we gain their anointing. And then we are empowered by their power. So, so you, you look at this and you go, it's always all about Jesus died. I get the spirit now. And because I have the spirit and I have the anointing from all these people, I get more and more authority, more and more power. So the word of God, though authoritative to an extent, my authority by the spirit exceeds the authority of the word of God. Therefore, when I prophesy now, I prophesy beyond the word of God. So it just always edges there. The word of God diminishes. God himself diminishes. We, we, we become larger and more divine. And so we have more power, more authority, and therefore deserve more wealth. That same teacher will say this. I refuse to have a theology that includes sickness. To which I would have to answer, well, then you refuse to have a biblical theology. Because a biblical theology includes sickness a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I love even when you read that passage, what Paul said to Timothy, hey, here's a false gospel that's going to tickle the ears, but endure suffering. It's almost like he threw that in there like, didn't Peter tell you that you're in exile on a planet that is death, in a body that is death, so you're going to have to endure a certain amount of suffering? Not because Jesus is a a God that wants you to suffer, but because Jesus is a God that has you on mission on his behalf in a world that is suffering and produces suffering. And while you're in exile on that world, you are going to encounter some of that suffering as Jesus had to and did in his life, death, and resurrection. So a theology without suffering is a theology without Jesus. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah, if, we, if your theology is not big enough to include Jesus, that's a yeah. problem. So what yeah. happens is, yeah. is which one of us doesn't want to have more resources sure. so we can have more security, be healthy? I mean, don't you want to be healthy? I want to be healthy. I just ate like some kind of a vegetarian bean thing <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to eat a burger because, I, you know, it's not it's healthier and I'm drinking water instead of a soda. Totally. I want to be healthy. I, w- I want to have resources. I don't want to suffer. I mean, nobody wants to suffer. So it tickles the ears when God apparently guarantees these things to us and thousands, hundreds of thousands flock to the teachers that say and, and seem to create spaces where people can. I, I was at a, in a context recently where some of these teachers got up on a stage and they began to speak healing over the entire crowd. And they said some very specific things about cuts on the arms disappearing if you ever cut yourself right in front of you and, and STDs going away right now in front of you because we speak it so it's done. And I'm thinking in my head about all the reality of all those young people walking out of this context that that didn't happen to 
And now they believe God isn't for them. God doesn't love them because these guys said, you ought to have this as a guarantee. And if you don't, I don't know what to say other than you probably don't have God. Like it drives me insane. I'm so sorry. Now I'm getting all angry. We're, 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 so, we're, we're opening up some small heads of worms, but, my bad. So, but it's oh, good. With, with all of this kind of in our, in our head and in our Still mind, bad. you know, it's really good to have dug in and seen at least on a very basic level what some of these false gospels really are, are sharing. Lulu had a really great thought. Uh, she says the thing about false, false gospels is that it sounds so good. It does. I mean, those things Lulu. they do. Thank you for saying that. She yeah. says it definitely it satisfies tickles the ears. itching it ears. She, yeah. she said that. She said it definitely satisfies itching ears even to believers. And that's part of the challenge is like, yeah, it does sound really good. And it, it does like, especially if it's a struggle, if it's something you've been going through for a long time, if you've got a family member who's really sick or, or you've been, you know, navigating less income than you feel comfortable with, or you've got eight kids who yep. need to go to college yep. or, you know, like yeah, those kinds of does. things. And you want more and you want to do more and you want to also hope and believe yep. that hey this following Jesus thing there's also a practical yep. Yep. helpful outcome to me so yep. it sounds it sounds and, really good and you know Justin I think and and this is exactly right not only does it sound good but it also looks good at times as well so when you have some of these for example these um, health wealth and 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 prosperity gospels so healing is a big part of that right so they have the big healing crusades and they yeah. bring people up I, w- I was watching a um, um, a documentary where um, a medical team was demonstrating that uh, the placebo effect is extremely real Mm -hmm. in in that when you take uh, two groups of people, especially when they struggle with pain. So a lot of times when it's not like your arm has been cut off and you need to grow a new arm, placebo effect doesn't work for that. Right. But it does work for things like, for example, when you don't have the strength to walk because you have MS, a placebo effect can actually strengthen you enough Mm -hmm. that temporarily you can get up and walk. Uh, so what they would do is they'd do the experiments where they'd give people a certain uh, medicine and say, this medicine is doing this to you. And then the other group, they would give a, the real medicine that was doing it. And they would see the same impact on both groups. The difference would be this one would be temporal, this one would be more permanent. Yeah. In other words, placebo effect has a temporal strengthening in pain tolerance or in the ability to have strength beyond yourself. So here's what happens. I have friends that have gone to healing services with a loved one that was either in grave pain or struggle or couldn't see well, was deaf but not fully deaf. In other words, ailments that like I'm, I'm qualified deaf or I have a lot of pain in my back or I can't, I'm in a wheelchair because I have MS. I actually have a friend literally who, who went through this. And then in the emotion of that moment and this clarity and, and declaration, he has made you well. It's done, and the, and the faith and belief in these people, like such faith, such beautiful faith, and, and then they, they respond in a way that people in a crowd go, Oh, my goodness. And then the yeah. next day when they're home, when the crowd is gone and nobody sees, they can't get out of the wheelchair. I actually have literally friends that that has happened wow. to. And then this shame overcomes them that their faith failed them. They didn't have enough faith because that's what these bozos do is they say, if it doesn't work, it's not on me, the anointed one who apparently has the apostle's anointing. It's on you who didn't have enough faith, right? And so what ends up happening then is the people in the crowd leave thinking this prosperity gospel doesn't only sound good, as you said. It 
is good. I watched it happen. Because I watched people healed. Yeah. And yes, their pain did go away temporarily. And, and yes, they may, may have walked temporarily. But if there was actually permanent healing taking place from the hands of these anointed quote-unquote men, the first question I always ask is, down the road from the stadium is a hospital. I have friends in that hospital. One of them had a five-organ transplant, and she's struggling right now. Can you just roll over there and take care of her? Sure. Because if this is, then do that. Right. And uh, nope. No. Because the placebo effect doesn't affect that. Yeah, and I think that that's a really interesting point because, you know, with with these things, uh, set aside the eternal effects and the eternal misconceptions and, and things, but even the practical results, like the day after or three days after or down the line when things come crashing down and things aren't what they seem and that placebo effect is a really it's real incredible example of yeah. how we can kind of like get caught up in the moment and things like that it doesn't last but we those are not the things that are shared and people who you know are invited to participate in these things aren't prepared for that and so then they're left like so the prosperity gospel looks awesome right it does it sounds awesome it has some reality to it that looks awesome and so we embrace its theology and its reality. And at the end of the day, it fails us like everything else on this planet that isn't the true gospel. Yeah, and I think for a watching world, you know, we're, we're talking about false gospels in the context of evangelism. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's the reason why we're having this conversation. And, and our heart at Mosaic is we want people to encounter Jesus. I mean, Jesus is good enough. Like, who God is and what he has done, the gospel, it is good news. It, it, we don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to fabricate anything. We don't need to heap anything on top of it because it's good enough in and of itself. And what we want is for people to truly encounter who God is um, and to actually get to know Jesus. And, um, you know, all of the benefits that come from that are are just their side benefits. They're the cherry on top. You know, that the um, you know, you used to say all the time, when we do things God's way, it does lead to life and freedom. And that's totally true. Um, but the reality is, is that we're going to live on planet death no matter what. Okay. And when, when the world who is looking in on the church, looking in on Christianity, skeptically, and, and rightly so, sure. when they see this, what Renaud just uh, described, this placebo effect and the, the emotionalism and what's on stage and the unverified claims of healings and all of those things, the world who's watching looks in on that and says, these guys are a joke. Yeah. Like this a whole thing is a circus. Right. This is a lie. Like these people are just off their rocker. They don't make, you know, and they're and discounted. They, they've been separated. Then they're not going to give Jesus a chance. No, they, they, they look it. at, they look at that representation of Christianity and say, I don't want, I don't want Jesus. And right. any false gospel is always going to do that. Oh yeah. At the end of the day, it's going to alienate. It's going to, it's going to create division. It's going to bring about shame and fear, except for a few key people that are in the upper ends that get all the prosperity from all the people right. that apparently God wants them to prosper. Yeah. yeah. We got a, and, and, we got a really good question yeah, here that I want to make sure in. we get to, yeah. um, you know, as we talk about, you know, some of the effects of this unbelievable faith, you know, we talk about healing and things yeah. like that. Bill Carlton asks, Hey Bill, by the way, What's up, Bill, uh, he says, I get the problems with the prosperity gospel and the speak it uh, so it's so, like, you know, yeah, uh, speak it into yeah. existence type of thing. But he, his question is, are you saying that God doesn't heal anyone today? Okay, that's a, that's a great question, Bill. Thanks for asking it. Yeah. Um, and let me just 
emphatically say absolutely not. We're not saying that at all. In fact, um, I think that uh, in, in the environment we live in, one of the questions that we are asking regularly is, uh, are we able uh, to expect God to do even greater things among us supernaturally um, as we enter into deeper intimacy with him and seek being um, people that know him and make him known more? Can we expect that God will, for his glory and his sake, perhaps even do more extraordinary things? And, and I would say, not only do I hope that's true, I believe that's true. I, I will just tell you this, and you don't even know this, but I, I, I literally had lunch yesterday with a guy that's part of Mosaic. I uh, came to Christ a year ago here, uh, got baptized. Um, he's had cancer for years and years and years, very rare form of cancer, and they've been doing all sorts of treatments over the years, and they, it kind of keeps it at bay and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, he goes for his normal checkup three weeks ago with the doctors, and the, the cancer is gone, gone, like wow. gone, gone, gone. So he's freaking out. So he emails me and he says, I'm totally freaked out. Like, I'm not sure what happened, but I went in and like the doctors are doing more tests now because they want to find the cancer because they're like, it's hiding. It can't be gone. And he's like, so they did all these other tests and they can't find it. It's gone. So I have lunch with him yesterday and he's like, did God heal me? And so I get to say to him, if the cancer is gone... Then, then the answer is yes. Yeah. Now, the, now, now, here's the thing. And this is what our whole discussion was. One, if God gave this to you, it doesn't make it normative. It makes it a gift. Like what I talked about earlier in this dialogue. Sometimes I roll home and I give my kids gifts because I can, because I'm, I'm, I'm their dad. Sure. And if I give this kid a gift, it doesn't mean that every kid's going to get a gift. Yeah. But, some, but every kid eventually gets gifts. And the gift isn't always what the kid thought it was going to be. And, and oftentimes the, the gift they want, the thing they want rather, I'm not going to give to them because it's not what's best for their journey. The point is this. Does God supernaturally heal today? Yes. Do I believe that that's happening globally and in our context? Yes. Do I believe that some may even be gifted at times to be the conduit for God to heal, just like some are gifted to be the conduit to encourage or the conduit to administrate or the conduit to lead or the conduit to preach or the conduit to teach all the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Mm. Yes, I do wholeheartedly. Do I believe that in any, any context where we are fabricating that to elevate ourselves and create ministries around a gospel that gathers thousands or millions who will release their resources so that uh, we will see prosperity and we utilize the seeming power to heal to do it. That is evil and it should be absolutely looked at as an affront to the gospel. But we, Bill, and all listening, we not only believe, but are hopeful to see in our regular experience of God that sometimes he creates um, spaces where the trials of life are shaping us, and sometimes he supernaturally diminishes or eliminates them, including things like sickness or uh, struggle or relational dynamics. I've seen God take a marriage literally on the brink, like it's over, and overnight transform the heart of one of those spouses in an encounter with them supernaturally, and the next day they come back and the marriage starts rebuilding. I have seen internal miraculous things, and I have seen external miraculous healings, but they are not normative. And more often than not, they are found through the natural course of community, 
Like if I want to become more intimate with Jesus, sometimes it'll be a single experience and a single moment and I'll launch 50 steps up. But more often it's just in a small group for 10 years, uh, studying the word of God and growing. Mm. So I love that God heals people through the incredible hands of amazing doctors and technology that he's allowed us to discover. And I love that God heals people through supernatural encounters. I hate that people use supernatural encounters that they fabricate to manipulate people into believing false gospels that aren't true and wanting things from Jesus that aren't Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think, and Bill, that's a, a great question, and, and I'm so glad that you did ask it. Um, I think that it is um, perfectly... Um, okay for us to at the same time believe that God is a God who is healing today, um, who does heal today, and at the same time recognize that ultimate healing comes when we breathe our last breath and meet Jesus face to face. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, the, the greatest miracle that's ever been performed is when Jesus resurrected from the dead. Uh, after dying on the cross for our sins, he paid the penalty for our sin, made us right with God, and has given us eternal life. That miracle is guaranteed in the atonement. And that is the greatest miracle of all. So ultimately, will we all experience healing? Yes. Will it be in this life? For some, maybe. Maybe for a moment. I think of Lazarus, Lazarus. As such a great example. Yeah. Jesus, so Lazarus gets sick. He dies. Jesus comes and resurrects Lazarus from the dead. Where is Lazarus today? Not here. He's dead. Yeah. After he was resurrected from the dead. Because that miracle was meant to glorify God. Yeah. In that moment, the purpose of that miracle was to glorify God. Was that a permanent healing? No, Lazarus is dead. He, he, yeah. he, he died. And the reality is... His is permanent healing was actually in his second death. death right? Yeah. So he, he yeah. dies, gets resurrected from the dead, and gets old and dies again, <laughs> and then sees Jesus face to face again yeah. and, and lives eternally with Jesus. And so that's his ultimate and healing. I, I think you know? ultimately, again, coming back to with the context we're in at Mosaic right now, First Peter, the expectation that the authors of the New Testament set were not because Jesus died, he guarantees you health, wealth, and, and, and healing and, 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 and prosperity. prosperity. Yeah. That was not what they wrote. Right. They said that Jesus can affect those things Absolutely. and sometimes does. Yeah. And sometimes he doesn't because the exiled world we're in create trials that we endure and you, God utilizes those as, first, as Peter wrote in his first letter to ultimately prove our faith authentic, which again leads to praise and glory and honor. So I, I do think the authors of the New Testament did say this, and, and, and I, I wrote these down just because I wanted to specifically think to myself, what is, what is it we should pursue as we encounter the gospel? What is it that should, we should expect from God um, as, a, as, a, as a, a, a fruit of encountering the gospel? Clarity. The New Testament authors say, as you dig in, you will gain more clarity of who God is, who you are, what this relationship is, and why you're here, and what your future is. Uh, Intimacy with God. Intimacy. That's incredible. Hope. Hope for a future that is beyond our wildest imagination. Purpose. That our purpose has been restored, and we don't live on this planet of death purposeless or waiting around to leave because this is hard. We are purposed on this planet as chosen exiles carrying the gospel. 
Which means we have purpose in our prosperity, That's and we have purpose in our poverty. In our poverty. We yeah. have purpose in a healthy day and purpose in a and day that we're sick. Yeah. And there is purpose in a supernatural healing, and there is purpose in it not being a supernatural healing. Yeah. Then, equality and unity. That the fruit, actually, in Jesus, actually, when he prayed for his church, oddly enough, he did not say, God, since I've come and I've made them mine, make them all well. Make yeah. them all wealthy. Make them all happy. Because ultimately, they're not here for you. They're here because we want to make them happy. What he did pray is this. <laughs> unify them. Make them love one another and unify them. And our love for each other and our unity is born as our clarity of the gospel and his power, his authority, his saving grace becomes our gift. And we're like, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. We're all in the same boat. I love the idea of purpose. Our purpose we never see is to be wealthy, is to be healthy, is to be, you know, rich and living extravagantly. It's to, to know God intimately and to make him known yeah. and to navigate the life that he's called us to live in that reality. Yeah. Um, I, we're, we have a few minutes left, um, and obviously... We're talking about this through the lens of evangelism right. as an equipping tool for our church, the people right. who, you know, come here and call this place home and uh, are, are maybe interacting and engaging with people who believe this. Or maybe some of the people hearing this themselves sure. come from a background where some of these realities, whether the subtle ones, because yeah. those are more uh, maybe even more yeah. dangerous yeah. because it's, it is subtle. And sometimes you've got the more explicit. Yeah. Um, but how... My question really is, is if you were to give some advice, to give a tip, like, hey, you've encountered yeah. someone who their reality has been this for so yeah. long, this distortion, yeah. this false gospel. Yeah. You've shared the truth of the gospel, the real gospel with them. Um, but then how do you equip that person to, to begin their journey now? They thought that they've been having this great faith their whole life. And now they're encountering Jesus for the first time. Yeah. How do you navigate that conversation with someone and say, hey, it's important yeah, for you to do I, this? I think, uh, yeah, I'll be brief, but then I'd love to hear Renaud's thoughts. I mean, so that's my journey. Like, you're, you're describing my journey. So I grew up in a church that was very legalistic, um, and it was a, a kind of a different, uh, a different dysfunction and then as a teenager, I got connected with a church that was a health, wealth, and prosperity church. And, um, you know, the, the reality is that God can work in the midst of, hmm. of this. Like, there are people, I mean, even from some of the quotes that we've read today, there are people, I believe, who have, who have genuinely heard who Jesus is and come to know Jesus, even through the ministries of these people. Sure. Because God is gracious, He's yeah, good to and us. He's bigger than any of us. Yeah. Regardless of whether we are doing it well or not. Yeah. And and for me, I had some people who loved me very well, who pointed me to Jesus, who are 100% bought into the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I learned a lot of that teaching. I had to later unlearn that. Mm-hmm. And the way that I unlearned that teaching after totally encountering Jesus in the midst of it was I read my Bible. I, I read all of my Bible. Um, I, I read the parts about, about um, you know, good, good days, and I read the parts about suffering. Yeah. Um, I read up the parts about the healings, and I read the parts about where God didn't intervene supernaturally. Um, and, you know, as I, as I uh, began to encounter the whole counsel of God's word, um, it began to reshape my theology. And so that's the first piece. I read my Bible. The second piece is, I got around some healthy Christians, um, and I spent some time around a healthy gospel. Yeah. 
And when that happened, that began to change the trajectory for me. And so if you have friends, family members, loved ones, if this is your story and you, you realize, you know, I, I really do gravitate toward the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I really love, you know, watching the Christian TV where the, the guy tells me I'm just going to have all of my wildest dreams if I just have enough faith. Like, if that's you, I would encourage you to get around some healthy gospel Um, you know, uh, be be a part of a church community like Mosaic, not necessarily Mosaic, but be a part of a a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Jesus-centered church community. Um, Get yourself connected to some gospel-centered resources, you know, the Gospel Coalition. Um, Read some books by those authors, like the, the, the real gospel is out there. It's flourishing in our and culture. And there's actually um, a know. documentary right now on um, Super good. Uh, Prime. You've got to rent it for like three ninety nine dollars yeah. for 48 hours, but it's two hours long, and it unpacks the real gospel, and then it, it exposes some of these false gospels. Uh, I watched it. It's a little long, uh, you know, lots of interview style type of things, but uh, if you can get through that, the content is fantastic. Tools like that help you begin to gravitate. And there's a number yeah, of people in that documentary that came out of movements like these and, and encountered the real gospel because they read the Bible or right. they got around people that understood. So and I think... What's the name of that documentary? It's the called American, American Gospel. American Gospel. American it's Gospel. It's on Amazon Prime yep. and you'll be able to rent it there. If or you, you don't can, have Amazon Prime, you can you also can just rent Google it. it. You can rent it on Vimeo. On Vimeo, okay. yes. Cool. So so that that's the one thing. I, I think the other thing that, that I would just say is, is this. Uh, two cautions, okay? One... The entire movement of a false gospel. So let's take the prosperity movement. Lots of people I love and care about that uh, are part of uh, parts of that movement in some version or another. The, the people, the congregants, if you will, the sheep, if we're using biblical language, like don't beat the sheep. Right? I mean, don't run around and say, if you buy into this, you're a false teacher and you're oh, yeah. like, I, I have great compassion for many of my friends that love Jesus, want to, want to be a part of seeing the world changed. They've bought into some, some false gospel doctrine uh, that, uh, and, and it's the pathway in which they're trying to figure all that out. I, I'm going to bring gospel to them. I'm going to challenge some of the things sure. that they believe, but I'm going to be very gentle and, and very much a friend to them. The people I judge teaching of are the teachers behind these false gospels, the sure. leaders. Oh, I absolutely judge their teaching Which and I absolutely judge what they say and I that, yeah. absolutely if they're teaching a false gospel want nothing to do with their teaching yeah. so the first caution is don't beat the sheep the yeah. second caution is don't do this well yes all this is false but they seem to have a good heart that teacher or some of the stuff they say seems to be really good so it's okay if it's all blended. Just take some of it, leave some of it. Like when it comes to false gospels, that is not a biblical response. Right. At all. I'll tell you what is a biblical response in that way is when it's, when it's perhaps a differing doctrine. And we're not going to have time to get into that now. But there is a difference to me between someone who believes doctrinally differently to me that doesn't affect the gospel or someone that has a false gospel. A false gospel takes the essence of the redemptive story of God and does all the things we've talked about. A false doctrine may be, I differ a little bit from how you see the end times folding as I see the end times folding. Yeah, not a false doctrine, a differing doctrine. I'm sorry, not a false doctrine, a differing doctrine. So if your doctrine, your belief system within the biblical structure differs from mine, there I'm going to be very gracious. And you're not a false teacher yet. We just disagree. So here's what the, what the, the, the secular world sees all the time. They see us fighting 
about nuanced doctrines all the time, like like we're enemies. Well, you talked about go, creation last week, right? Being yes. a really great yes. example. Yeah, there's a and lot see, of those. They see creation that. In yeah. Times. yeah, they see Spiritual us fighting gifts, over those, I mean. like we're enemies, and they, and they just shake their heads and be like, "These people are, are psychotic," yeah. or the opposite. They see these giant disparities in this world of false gospels, and they see us like blending it all. And I'm like, we, we have the wrong idea of where we're taking our stand. We beat the sheep of, of these movements instead of the leaders. I don't beat the leaders, but the teaching instead of the teaching. Sorry, did I say that again? I have a little bit of anger issue in me about all this. The, the teaching. And we fight over silly doctrinal differences that we shouldn't fight over, but rather wrestle over. And so make sure if it's a false gospel. In other words, it has the tenets of everything we talked about here today. Then those teachers, I'm just going to say this straight up, don't read their books, don't get behind them, don't take some of their stuff, don't watch them on TV. Yeah. And if please your friends, don't give to them financially. Please don't give them financially. <laughs> if your friends are watching them and your friends are reading their books, don't beat your friends. Right. Don't yeah. go, I can't believe you're reading that book. It's, it's, it's a false gospel. Rather sit down and say, oh, I see you're reading that book. What's some of the stuff that you're, you're learning from that? Have them dialogue through it and then as things come up, challenge some thought and say, well, have, you know, th- that I hear you, but have you, and go that route. And I love, you know, how I think, I think your thing really feeds as a result of Joel's. Like, you know, we're able to identify these false gospels by submitting ourselves with, under intimacy and with intimacy with our God. We can know what is true about him when we spend time in prayer and in our Bible and, and then surrounding ourselves in a community of like-minded people who are doing the same, then we're able to determine, oh, this one is, this is false teaching. This doesn't line up with my entire Bible. Yeah. Like, and so I thought that that was really good, both for engaging the people who believe these things, but also for us as evangelists, wanting to go and carry the gospel, right. which is our huge focus. We can't do that effectively if we don't first know Jesus yeah. intimately. And I would just, oh, sorry. It's what Scotty Smith was saying this last weekend while he was here. It's the old adage about um, how do you determine what a counterfeit, uh, you know, currency looks like. You get really familiar with what the authentic currency right. looks and feels like. And that's how you, that's how you figure out what a, a false gospel looks like. You get so really, for, for, really that's familiar right. with that. And, and for us, the last Great couple example. of weeks, we've traveled through the real gospel yeah. most, of the, uh, most of these last few weeks. Um, and so go back, watch some of the videos from the last few weeks, and you'll hear the gospel in its simplicity and its beauty unpacked there. And then that becomes the determiner. Scotty Smith also said this that I love so much, and I think this is a good place to kind of land for today, is that there's not more than one gospel. There's just more of the one gospel. So it's digging into the beauty of the gospel and knowing so there's no end to how much we can know of it. As that diamond spins, there's more yeah. color to discover. So don't stop on one color. Don't make one color the gospel. Let it keep going and discover the beauty of the gospel when you're struggling with some sickness. Discover the beauty of the gospel when God supernaturally heals that sickness or when God doesn't supernaturally heal that sickness. Or when you're just enjoying health. When you're enjoying health. Discover the beauty of that gospel when you're struggling because you lost a job and you're struggling financially. Enjoy it when you've gotten a job you never dreamed of and you have more money than you know what to do with this. The key is in every circumstance with every relationship and in every every, uh, resource reality. Remember two things. Be content in whatever it is, because you have Christ. That's what Paul said. And, and two, um, it is for the glory of God yeah. so that you can know him more and make him known more. Oh, That's so it. That's it. So good. And if it is for you, like that one quote from that one guy, this isn't for God, it's for you, 
then you are already on dangerous ground. Yeah. It is all for the glory of God. It is all for his purposes. And that we are participants in that is ridiculously ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. it's an incredible privilege. That is our time. I know that we could keep going. Do you have a last thought? Yeah, Cole? we will not be here next week. Um, Mosaic has a staff retreat, so just want to make sure that you guys are aware of Aww. that. So. so no no, no Facebook lunch with Renault next week. Um, a few of you asked some questions there at the end, and we're really sorry that we couldn't get to them. Uh, we do hope that this conversation was helpful, and we hope that you're able to take what you learned today and share that with your friends and your family and utilize, you know, the discussion and platform that you've been given to share the truth. I mean, and, and hopefully that truth is found by you digging in and plugging in there. So thanks for being here today. Uh, Thanks to all of you you for joining us here today. We hope to to see you you in two weeks. Awesome.